Well, welcome everyone to episode seven of the Sacrificial Succession podcast. I'm Wes Leek from Business Blessings, and we're joined again today by Paul Rattray. Paul, welcome. Thanks, Wes. So <laughs> I, um, I just want to start by, I, I am constantly being faced at the moment by examples of succession that have gone wrong. And, and I had to uh, sit on a board meeting on the weekend for two and a half hours trying to sort out an organization where sadly two members of um, the board had died and left one director and one member. And we're trying to resurrect an organization that we know has a call of God on its life, but administratively it's kaput <laughs> at the moment. So the cost Paul, of getting succession are wrong is actually very high. Yeah, um, it can mean the death of an organisation. And I mean, as our founder, um, Lord Robert Bob Edmiston, who, who you've met, says, in some cases, organisations are meant to die. Yeah. You know, it says there in the Bible, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you know, it can't um, bear the fruit that it's meant to, to, to bear. But that uh, is not a default position. And so, as you've just said, a lot of organisations are meant to survive and thrive uh, and actually succeed. But because of the succession issue, uh, don't and ultimately die and they're not meant to it's like you know someone who has a preventable illness um, and they don't get treatment and so ultimately they die of something that they shouldn't have you know and we've seen this around the world with uh, other countries you know with COVID a lack of oxygen um, a lack of uh, you know, drugs or access to hospital. And so people die needlessly from that perspective. And I think it's a pretty good analogy for what we're talking about. One of the key things that, uh, and having worked with this organisation for many, many years and been on the board previously, uh, about 10 years ago, um, the where you see pride and jealousy and greed step in um i guess we talk about the three things god glory and girls no gold glory and girls and i'm not saying that there was some of all of that in there but uh, the jealousy issue and wanting um some people did want to take over the organization because they thought they could run it better so it was left in their hands and sadly it died um not having that heart that is seeking after god and following after god and listening to god can really um, screw things up in an organisation. Yep. And, you know, all of the things that you've mentioned, I mean, really they're biases, aren't they? So yeah. they're, they're, you know, biases against something or biases for something that people shouldn't have. It's true. That's a, and I'm learning more and more about how much, how, how many biases I have into some different things that I've been doing lately. Paul, the, the heading for today is just go to hell or eliminate to embrace. And uh, I, just as I was preparing for this, I'm conscious that often God it calls us to do something that we don't want to do because 
because of maybe we don't have a good relationship with someone or we, we don't want to build a relationship with someone or we think it's okay i could do this myself yeah i mean there's all sorts of um, biases that that we have and of course we've talked a little bit about this too there's all sorts of inbuilt biases within corporate and organizational structures which do not um, positively discriminate in favor of sacrificial succession as well as the sorts of successes that we should be considering when we start to think about these things and so the heading that we're talking about there and I went for a slightly more I guess conciliatory or positive one eliminate to embrace but that particular heading just go to hell that's exactly the terminology that was used in one of our projects about the ethnic group that we needed to hand over leadership to if we were going to succeed in that particular field and project. So uh, let's talk about this project a bit because it's a prime example of what can happen when you actually do submit to what God is saying and, and go with what God is saying, because it's, this is, this is about people's lives. This is about eternity. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Well, I I won't mention the country just because um, of the, you know, the the possibility that some people in that, that country could be targeted. Um, But this uh, is a very large country that is currently going through a terrible strife. Um, but at the time, was uh, there was a relative peace in the country. But there's a long history of enmity or hatred between different ethnic groups, especially with the dominant people group, which is a Buddhist, hard-line Buddhist people group, uh, which have persecuted, especially authorities, the kings, the government, the military have persecuted tribal groups mercilessly for centuries. And so these tribal people, despite being many of them being Christian, evangelical Christians, they had a saying in their language, which was shared to me in the first couple of years of um, our project, which was essentially these people are predestined for hell. They can go to hell. We don't love them. God doesn't love them. Um, They've, you know, they've done too many terrible things to us. And so this, in in this guy Var sharing this with me, this is a real paradigm shift on his part. And it's interesting that he had worked with these people for more than 20 years doing missionary work amongst them And yet this was what, you know, was in his heart of hearts that he had to overcome. So, you know, when we talk about biases, even though I guess in this day and age, it's not politically correct to talk about certain biases. If we're speaking frankly and honestly, we all have them. And to pretend that we don't is a little bit like the old emperor who told everyone that, um, they should pretend that he had clothes on. Clothes on, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know how that ended up. So, so this, um, 
you know, it's um, I must say, I because of something my mum said to me when I was earlier, you know, growing up, I I realised that I had a certain bias against a certain people group, and uh, it wasn't until I was like maybe in my mid twenties that I I was wrestling with that, and I thought, God, where on earth did that come from? And it, it took me back to this conversation I had with my mum probably when I was seven or eight, somewhere around there. And like, it's just, um, I sometimes I don't think we realise just maybe some things are spoken over to us or there's a cultural bias. Like in, in this case, it's really a cultural bias uh, thing about that. You know, and there's plenty of examples of that around the world. So it's, it's being able to switch our lens from seeing it through Jesus' eyes rather than seeing it through our own eyes, which is quite a journey for people to go on. It's a huge journey because, as a rule, it's not something that you notice. Um, you know, and I, I'm not talking about, you know, the sort of the, 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 the woke culture of today where um, everybody is, you know, sort of put in a black and white box and I don't mean that literally, but I suppose yeah. in some ways it's not not a not a bad analogy. Um, you know, you're for us or you're against us. You know, and that's not how biases work. Biases are much more subtle than that. And you know, one of the passages that really spoke to me when I was thinking through this and you know learning some of these things myself and still am. You know, is that story in First uh, uh, Samuel 16, I think it is, um, where Samuel goes to choose a new king. Now, this is a leader of men. Yeah. You know, he would be a top CEO if it was today. Uh, he knew all of the, you know, strength finders, you know, Johari window. He had all of those, that toolkit with him. And so... He was biased to look for people who were a certain gender, a certain physical characteristic. They had the mental capacity, uh, you know, cognitive capacity. They were professionals, trained soldiers. In this particular case, David's brothers, all superior to David in every single way. Uh, we know that because in the following chapter, when it came to Goliath, they mocked him by saying, what's a shepherd boy? You know, what's a shepherd boy doing talking? You know, shepherds are the lowest of the low, a little bit like fishermen later on. Yes, yes. Um, and so Samuel had to learn to completely shift his paradigm and biases to look at what really mattered, and that was heart and character, that willingness to serve, that willingness to sacrifice yourself, which David had in spades at that uh, time in his life and so you know these were things that really helped me to see you know if we were going to put the last first in this project in this particular place that meant that the last were the people group successes from a people group who had persecuted these people for centuries and savagely persecuted them and so it required the predecessors to be really sacrificial just in that change of paradigm. 
what helped that change in paradigm? Because like, you know, like I sit here and I reflect on my biases and I think, how am I going to change <laughs> like this? And, and I know often we change by misdirection, um, you know, so it, it doesn't, it's not a willpower thing, but it has to be a spirit of God thing. It does. Although obviously this can be practically applied as well, you know, into situations where we need to positively discriminate. And I don't necessarily mean positive discrimination in terms of how it's described once again in, say, the woke type literature, although there are elements of truth there. Um, But we need to be really intentional about um, looking outside of the box and really thinking about, well, who are the last in my particular case? Who are the ones that I will tend to overlook? They need to be part of that. But in this particular case, um, it's a very interesting scripture that Var shared with me because um, it's from 1 Kings and um, chapter 20, verse 28, and it's about a battle with the Arameans. And it's, this is a really interesting and significant uh, passage for Va and his people, because they, like the Israelites, are people of the hills. They're hill tribes. They're not of the valleys. And their enemies, in this case, the, the enemy of the Israelites is the Arameans. Um, and the enemy of the people that I mentioned were, the, were known in their country as the people of the valleys. And what... Um, the Holy Spirit really spoke to Va about here was that I can defeat these people. I can defeat them just like he did back then. But the difference here is we're not talking about defeating them by destroying them or killing them in battle. In a sense, we're talking about defeating them by loving them and by putting those successors who would have no opportunity or chance under any circumstances without these predecessors being sacrificial of being put first and becoming successors of our work you know and so for him that was the paradigm shift that was his aha moment to recognize you know what we're not going to beat or destroy or defeat these people by our own strength and our own power. We've certainly never done it throughout our history. But what we can do, in a sense, is defeat them through love and by putting their people um, as the next generation successors of our project. Since our project was aimed at impacting those people, how could we impact those people if we weren't willing to sacrifice our leadership for them and put them first? So this was a huge change in this country. Lots of people didn't agree with it. Lots of Christians thought it was a dumb idea. Well, you can't trust these people. You've got to understand they're first-generation Christians. They don't have the background that we do. You know, well, the early church struggled with all these things as well. Um, And so, yeah, we've got some pretty good examples from church history as well as recent history that I share in the book, that um, it can be done. And anyone who says it can't be done, I would, you know, like I say in the book, I'd very humbly, and I mean that, 
I'd very humbly uh, invite someone, please read my book. Please read the stories and testimonies of people who have done this. Uh, I would um, quite boldly say in much more difficult circumstances than most of us will probably ever face. And uh, we should say that the book's available for download for free at sacrificialsuccession.com. So to go there and do that. Paul, you know, just as I kind of analyse what you're talking about here, one of the key things is that leaders, we need to be in the word and we need to be people of prayer because a lot of this has come from you and team leaders as you've been reading the word and you've been praying, as you've been seeking God for solutions um, to the problems that you've been facing, that he has been revealing those answers to you. Absolutely. And uh, if if any of you heard our um podcast involving junior um you know it's really good to get someone else's perspective who went through the early years early journey uh with me because it was all i mean it's not even neat now but it was all very messy we we needed a solution and none of the leadership and management models that we studied really provided a methodology that we could use in the difficult situations that we faced. And so, (laughs) excuse me, it's a journey and it's still a journey, but you're exactly right that these scriptures perhaps that we know about or we've heard about, oh, David, you know, um, Samuel, oh, yeah. Um, for, For me and for us, these were oftentimes were aha moments that jumped out to us and said, okay, um, this is something that we can apply to the challenge that we're facing. And we were very thankful for it because we didn't have any other answers. And so when a few people have said to me, oh, you know, this is a bit theologically left of field, or this is not quite the same as what most other management Uh, and leadership literature tends to portray. What I say is, well, I'll give credit where credit's due. And the credit is to the Lord and to the Bible and to the fact that it's living. Um, And, you know, it'll cut you and it will um, expose things that you may not um, like to hear. But that's that's just the reality of it. The other event I went to on the weekend, I had a very busy weekend, actually. It was an event of um, the 80th birthday party of a previous CEO that I worked under. And just as I was, uh, it was in a Christian organization and um, it was fascinating because I was young, 25 to 30 at the time. Um, But now looking at the people that were on the board, they're all in their 80s and 90s. And it was interesting but it reminded me that a lot of times in those board meetings, people would say, but this is what we're doing in our workplace. So you should implement that here, which is, yes, which is kind of what you're talking about is you look to the current management theories of the day, whereas this is God's work. So we need to go to God to get the answer for what we, he knows. Is yeah, we do. We do, and and we need to trust that, you know, what the Bible can teach us, it's alive and it's active and it's working right now 
And while there is a great uh, deal of benefit in the um, wise words of leaders of men and women, um, we just need to be very careful that we don't um, lose track and in a sense, lose faith with what we can hear from the word and from the Lord. And, you know, a really good example that always gives me that balance is when you think about Moses going through the desert with the people, with the Israelites, you know, he had a, the light by night and the cloud by day to guide him. Yeah. But he also had the advice of Jethro and Hobab because it's really important to have a balance of both. But if you lose track of the light and the cloud because you're so intent on listening to what um, man and woman has to say about these things, um, you know, we can really lose out on the richness of what God might want to teach us through a really difficult situation because we're not willing to take the risk. Yeah. Yes. 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 Just a funny story where, uh, you know, I teach at university and one of my students traces his heritage back to Moses' father-in-law. <laughs> and so I had some very interesting conversations with that. And I just think about that. All that heritage has passed down all these thousands of years. Um, is That's a side thing. But, but, but you know, this is the thing, yeah. though, that what you're putting in train in place here is going to have a long life because that multiplication is going to occur because what you do with your disciples, they are going to do with their disciples. And which is, which comes back to what Paul was telling us about. <laughs> it, it does. Although I think I mentioned to you, whereas one of the things that concerns me and I've noticed a few times now where I've, I've advised people um, about some of these principles is that uh, like we all do, uh, people will tend to cherry pick, you know, yeah. a particular principle. And so, for example, uh, we worked, I, I worked for a very large organisation um, in the West here in Australia, uh, which was having some major succession issues. And what their comment to me was from working together through this was that they were very thankful that I was provi able to provi uh, provide them with a model where they could continue, the previous generation could continue to sustain the next generation. My only concern about that was I didn't see any evidence of them putting in, putting the other principles into place, yeah. which is to serve, to sacrifice and sustain. It's not just to sustain. Yes. Um, and so for me, while all the principles are important as standalone principles, unless they're connected together. And you mentioned Paul again, one of the inspirations that, um, you know, I really drew upon. He's talking about multiple generations as he passes on to Timothy. Timothy passes on to other men and women who are qualified and they pass that on to others. That's four generations of leaders right there. Yeah, that's right. Well, one of the other things I want to bring out is with this situation with VAR that we've been talking about, it wasn't a small project. You had 200 pioneers and branch offices, 25 different partner organisations. So that's a lot of people to bring on board. 
Yeah, it was huge. And like I said, um, these are not things that people naturally gravitate towards. <laughs> I've got to be honest. Um, servant leadership is something that people gravitate towards. Um, but sacrifice and sustenance is not. Uh, let's be honest here. And so especially when the ones that you are serving are people that you don't like, or in this case, you hate. You haven't resolved the differences that you have. It's very easy, I think, too, for us in places, you know, like the West and others where we feel we're a little bit more sophisticated than that. Oh, I don't feel that way about, you know, people of other races. Probably not. But one of the things that we tend to do, which is what Samuel did way back then as well, is we always looked at what I would call professional expertise. We always choose professional expertise and assume that all the other things that are important, like character, the willingness to serve, to sacrifice, they're going to come with that package and as Jesus said to his disciples way back then, people who are in authority don't tend to be like that. Yes. Professionals don't tend to be like that. That's the reality. And so we are fooling ourselves if we are thinking that the next generation that I am preparing um, is going to be all set to go. They're professionals. You know, um, that's not the way it works. And that's certainly not the way it's worked in our, in our projects. And I'm sure if you think about the situation with Paul and Timothy, I assume Titus and many others, the comments that Paul would have got is, which he did, too young, not professional enough, not from the right ethnic background, but we might say not from the right university. Um, you know, Timothy lacked all the things that everybody thought he should have to be a successor of Paul. But Paul understood and could see beyond that. And so do we. If we're going to break this paradigm that we have, that professionally skilled people, I'm not knocking professional skills, by the way, um, what I'm saying is we have to look at the last and the least as they are not as we would like them to be. And as I often said in this massive project that we're talking about, because we had people that, to be honest, didn't match up. And my response to some of my leaders at the time was, we need to work with the people that we have, yeah. not with the people that we think we should have or we would like to have. These are the ones that we've got. Let's do the best we can with them and see if we can develop them. Yeah. And this became a massive project, as I you know, share in the book. This became the largest mission project, not my words, but the people in Myanmar said that had been ever brought together to reach this uh, unreached a Buddhist group, which is the largest Buddhist group in that country and one of the largest, if not the largest in the world. See, isn't that how God works, though? He humbles us. He, he corrects us, which is kind of what happened here. 
but encourages us to move forward. And then he breathes on it and it grows. But it, it does, yeah. To be in that humble position. It does. And I'm, I think this is part of the bias is that we always assume there's something that has to be for something to happen. And for us in the West, our bias doesn't tend to be ethnic as a rule, although we have them, even though we would, you know, it's not politically correct to say so. It might be gender related. Um, We have a whole lot of biases that we perhaps don't talk about. But one of the biggest biases that I talk about in the book is the bias towards professionalism. Profession, you know, do they have a degree? Now, I'm not knocking it. As you know, I have three. um, And you're working hard for degrees as well. Uh, They're very important and they're necessary. But if if professional skills and ability become the basis for which we choose people, then the last and the least do not usually feature in that list of potential successes. Some of the lectures I had to deliver last week, we actually looked at Southwest Airlines and it's fascinating with them that they their number one thing they're looking for in hiring is not professional skills, it's attitude. And if their attitude is there, they're higher. And the other thing, and which is my related to my next question here, they're looking for love. <laughs> like and they it's interesting if you go into Southwest Airlines and look at their vision, mission, and values, it is full of love. And it's full of um, the golden rule, do unto others which you'll have them do unto you. And I think they're like, <clears throat> it's a secular organisation that has taken these principles and applied them. And, and that's one of the questions uh, that, that you ask here, Paul, is do you have this love for your successes? And I think the foundation of this has to be love because like in Var's case, he actually had hatred towards the people that God had called him to work with. And look, confession time, I know that there's been times when God's called me to work with people and I think, I don't even like them. <laughs> but, but but it's, um, but and, and I've had to stop and say, God, I, I need your love for these people because I don't have it. I don't have it in the natural. Uh, you're calling me to do this, but it's not something that I want to do. And I'm asking for that love. And essentially, that's what happened in this project. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's why I thought I'd provide, you know, a a sort of subheading to that uh, being eliminate to embrace is that oftentimes we need to eliminate things that we've just been talking about to embrace. And that was actually the word that VAR used. He said, you know, my mindset had to be eliminated for me to embrace these people with love. And let's not forget, just let me emphasize again, he had worked amongst these people doing Christian missionary work for the last 20 years. Um, so, you know, anyone who sort of tut tuts and shakes their head, you know, how could he have that attitude? Um, I would say that we all have these sorts of biases and to be able to learn to love people is part of that elimination to embrace and there will be things that we need to eliminate you know where we are 
in the organizations that we lead to be able to embrace those people who we need to embrace so that we can have not only a sacrificial succession, but ultimately it will be successful. So Paul, as we're starting to wrap up today, because we're starting around our time, but that's one of your last questions you've written down here for me. What or who might you need to sacrificially eliminate such as generational professional differences to embrace someone as your successor? That's a huge question. It is a huge question. And that's why anyone who says, oh, well, you know, I'm not biased like what you've been talking about. Uh, you have your biases. You know, your bias might be that you want it to be a family member when you know that there's someone else who is potentially more capable. Um, so there, there's all these things that come into play. And you've, you've said, you know, we need to acknowledge to the Lord, if we're followers of Christ, that, you know what, I don't have all the answers here, um, but you do. <laughs> Um, just like Samuel should have done from the outset. But, of course, Samuel went in, as expected, with his criteria for a good leader in place. He knew what a good leader looked like, but that's not how God saw it. And we need to recognize that as well in each of our situations, that the potential successes that we are likely to consider as the last and least are not going to be the ones that sit at the top of my list. And yet we must consider them if we want to implement a sacrificial succession. They must come into the mix. In fact, they must be positively uh, discriminated uh, in favour of those people. So, Paul, last week we ended with the challenge of writing down a list of potential successes. So I dare say there'll be people who God brought to mind that you didn't write down on that list that after today you need to write down on that list. Um, and, and, and also to take the time to say, okay, God, you need to show me where I have these biases and what those biases are. And to be prepared to maybe have a deep conversation with God about these things for him to reveal these things to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just talking about this with a group of um, leaders I mentor in China. Um, and I, I'm sure that's going to be our next discussion because they're actually one session behind us. So they've made a list. What we're going to talk about next, you know, what are the uh, criteria that you use to come up with this list? And are they the sorts of people that we need to consider in the context of a sacrificial succession. So, you know, that's the things I need to think about, you need to think about, you know, they need to think about is, is the list that I'm making, I mean, we may not have ever made a list before. So even making a list is a good exercise. But then now that we have a list, just like Samuel, we now need to go through that list and see if the list even has some of the people on it that God wants to be on it. And I suspect that that means that there will be some that are probably right up the top of our list that need to be eliminated. 
Uh, this is getting, uh, you're kind of putting your finger on some very <laughs> deep... Well, you know, let's look at it practically. If we come up with a chronological list, which is usually how we do it, you know, yeah. one to starting one that is the best and moving down, what I would suggest is that you turn the list the opposite way. Wow. You know, if you have a list of five people, three people, ten people, start at number ten or five or three and move down, turn it over. Paul, thank you for being so challenging today. And hey, if you're listening to this podcast and God speaks to you about these things, we'd love to hear from you about that. So go to sacrificialsuccession.com and there'll be a place there for you to send us some messages and let us know about these things as well. Well, Paul, thank you for today. I'm, uh, I am enjoying this journey with you. And, and as I said at the start, I um, am seeing succession issues clash before me and and i think god's trying to teach me something through this as well yeah thanks wes and like i said with junior you know this has for me often been a lonely journey to be honest and so i'm really thankful that i have people like you walking with me so have a great day thank you thank you